This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for July 14th, 's talking at once podcast my name is drew messenger Michaels for those of you who don't know me I am the proprietor of this here establishment and uh, just want to thank you for being here whether this is your first time listening or your 21st time listening or some higher number than that if you re-listen uh, if this is your first time listening though there are two other episodes you may want to consider listening to before you listen to this one uh, because today we are talking to Zach Barth for the third time we are finishing up our trilogy of conversations with him and unlike the Batman Arkham trilogy. Uh, there actually are three of them, first of all. We're not just choosing to ignore one. Uh, but also, unlike that trilogy, there's a bit of a through line, uh, which, you know, sick burn, right? Uh, there, There is sort of a, a build. Uh, we build on the conversations that we had previously in this one. So while you will get plenty of entertainment and information out of this episode as a standalone unit, you will probably get more out of it if you listen to the previous episodes first. So one of the things that Zach and I talked about previously was that in his head, after what he would, you know, very freely call the failure of Ironclad Tactics, the question facing Zachtronics was what should they do to build on the game they had released most recently that seemed to have resonated with people, namely Space Chem. Infinifactory, to me, represents one really compelling answer to that question. It sort of builds on the same appeal as Space Chem, but puts it in a package that is potentially a little bit more appealing to the mainstream indie game consuming crowd, whoever that is and whatever that looks like. The difficulty of drawing those lines is something we talk about, but it's one possible answer to what happens after Space Chem. TIS 100, uh, Zach's newest game, is, as I say in the interview, a sort of equally interesting but totally opposite answer to that same question. Uh, Zach has an interesting relationship to that game because he sort of released it audaciously, not knowing if anybody would like it, and several people have told him it's their favorite Zachtronics game, to which he is, uh, he responds with sort of bemusement and slight exasperation, but also a deep sense of satisfaction. So that's, you know, the contours of that are interesting to me, and we talk about that. One other thing we talk about that I want to mention before I uh, kick off the interview itself we mentioned, Zach and I both, that we don't read much gaming news, that neither of us do. And we sort of, we say it in this this very broad way that makes it sound like we don't read anything about video games, which, at least in my case, is not true at all. I read books about video games, I read blog posts about video games, I read <laughs> book-length blog posts about video games sometimes. Uh, I read lots of stuff. Um, I've been reading Offworld very frequently, uh, Lee Alexander's project with Boing Boing. Uh, and that sort of takes the form of a video game website, but still not of a video game news and reviews website. That's the thing that I think I've been drifting away from, and Zach makes it sound like a lot of other people in his world have too. And that's interesting, right? But I didn't want to overstate the case and make it sound like uh, reading words about video games is something I don't believe in when I spend time writing words about video games, right? That would be, uh, you know, I mean, if, if that were the case, that would be that would be a very interesting thing to talk about. But it would be a very different position than my actual one, which is I love consuming stuff about games, but not in the form of 10 out of 10. Yeah, not so much anymore. Anyway, wanted to clarify that point uh, without uh, any further delay. Here for the third and final time is Zach Barth. 
So, Zach Barth, thanks for being here for a third time uh, for our, uh, yes. our the third part of our triptych of interviews, uh, which I have really enjoyed, and uh, some people have told me they enjoyed as well. So, so let's bring this thing home, right? The last time that we talked, uh, two things were occurring. Uh, number one, you were getting ready to to take the final step with Infinifactory and move it out of early access, and you had just started the Zachtronics podcast. Um, so what I want to yes. talk about today uh, is just what you've been up to since, basically, right? We, we, we talked a little bit last time about the received wisdom that uh, that uh, that by going through the Steam early access process, you at least potentially dull the impact of when the game drops, you know, the launch week buzz. So yes. maybe before we get into Z- the Zachtronics podcast or any of the other stuff, have you found that to be true? And, and if so, do you think it matters? I... I don't know, and I don't know. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. So, I when when we release anything, there's typically not a lot of buzz. I mean, nobody. Uh, we're we're not very good about. Well, I say that I don't know. We're we're okay about publicizing the fact that we have games coming out, but who's going to even pay attention? I mean, there's there's barely any sort of gaming press left to to pay attention. And even if they're like when they are present, and they're not really looking at what we're doing because it's not. You know, we're not at E3. We don't really compete. I mean, and for the most part, like most indies don't really compete with that kind of thing. We've always sort of like stealthily dropped games. It was it was much commented upon that uh, that Steve Gaynor was on the Sony stage at E3 and just the, the total surreal aspect. Was it was it actually was it Sony or was it Microsoft? But he was at one of the big press conferences, you know, talking about uh, their next game, their follow up to Gone Home. And to have that share the stage with Master Chief is back was a very strange thing. You know, it's to your yeah, point, that's not exactly. normal. That's not how most indie game studios operate. Exactly. And so, I mean, have you, have we, we haven't talked about TIS 100 yet. We haven't. And that is the other thing I would love to talk about. So I'm going to talk about this for a second. So that's a game that we released just literally with no notice whatsoever. Um, like nobody knew that we were making this. I almost didn't make it. I, you know, I almost stopped working on it a lot. It was sort of like a side project of mine. And we just kind of released it. And for some reason, it just went crazy. You know, like it, it got picked up on a bunch of different sites. There were a bunch of like quasi famous people like, you know, Jonathan Blow and stuff like playing it very publicly and like getting really into it. And it got on Boing Boing and it just kind of went everywhere. And it was really weird because it's it's kind of a terrible game. And we did zero like we gave people no notice. Nobody knew what the hell it was. We just released it. We're just like, hey, guys, look, it's a game. And uh and it's early access, you know, like for whatever, like I honestly, I mean, it, it's possible that Infinifactory being early access did dull the release a little bit, but honestly, a lot of the, all the big sites we would have counted to talk about it, talked about it, and they might not have slapped a number on it yet, but they still talked about it and they still, still read articles. And um, with, with TIS 100, I, I don't think that releasing it, releasing it as opposed to early access releasing it would have made any difference because especially like looking at the way that people reacted to it everybody was talking about it all of a sudden out of nowhere that's sort of the best we can hope for sure like we don't we don't make games that really are that popular so and and like and we have a strong fan base of people who like playing them but in terms of like the hype train like we are not the conductors of the hype train you know (laughs) sure sure yeah there's there's not going to be there's not going to be like a a, you know there's not going to be pre-release hype in the same way that there is with with a big budget release and likewise i don't know that you would have sold one more copy of tis 100 based on like a banner ad on you know gaming website yeah Exactly. And that just costs money. And that's money we don't spend regardless, because we have no reason to believe that that's a a good thing to do, you know, and it's 
So we just kind of release games. So they yeah. just kind of go out there. The Steam uh, that com- said, I mean... Yeah. I was just going to say, the, St- the Steam community uh, page for that game is a thing of wonder. You know, just the, the way people... Oh, yeah. it's, it's people trading programming tips and, and sussing out. Because as with all your games, there is a story hidden in there. Or at least, you know, background. Yes. There's lore, I guess is what you might call it, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a more fantasy setting. Uh, but it, but there's, there's, there's stuff to suss out about the people who came before you and worked with this language or with this machine. Yes, exactly. Which is great. So people are trading tips on how to how to play the game better and how to do that better. So so I do want to make a point about the idea of it being a terrible game because I think I know what you mean, but but taken <laughs> at face value, I disagree with that statement. But before we do that, I think I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Oh, just that you know that that said all the stuff about early access and squandering launches or whatever. Like we're actually we have, we have seen a spike like with the release of the game, you know, um, of Infinite Factory with it being properly released uh partially maybe just because we're on the front page of steam but that itself isn't like a crazy driver of traffic but um yeah i mean so we're getting you know we're getting you know a reasonable launch um i don't i honestly don't even know what like who talks about games anymore like i said i mean i like they've (laughs) all seemed to have gone away and there's still some sites but i just can't i can't imagine anybody reading them like I've never heard anybody that I know organically, and I guess it's it's that's a bad sample because all the people I know are in the games industry. But I don't know anybody talk about reading gaming news. I I don't I don't really know how that any of that works anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> speaking for myself, and you know, I have a podcast where I talk to game developers, so so I should probably read more of it than I do. But but you're right, I don't read that much of it. I read Rock Paper Shotgun pretty regularly. I mm-hmm. uh, read some stuff on Eurogamer, and that's it. I, I really yeah. I don't read much other stuff about about games, and I feel and it, it, the void too, you know. Yeah, and at best on those kind of sites, you get an article. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. you get two articles, but like that's not that's not where the magic's happening, right? Like like with all the people, like all the the magic that's happening around our games, it's not happening on gaming journalism websites. It's players. They're playing the game. They're talking to their friends. You know, it's the fact that TIS one hundred players are telling all like people who are programmers are finding this game and then telling all of their coworkers about it, and then all of them instead of working are trying to beat each other's high scores in TIS one hundred. Like <laughs> sure. that's that's the the substance of your game going viral that's the substance of like real 2015 publicity you know it's just people playing your game and telling other people about it and like really like like not just like like oh hey have you heard about tis 100 you know like they're not trying to sell their friends on it like they're just they're they're playing it together you know yeah 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 yeah. It's like a visceral, authentic experience, you know? <laughs> which, which is the thing that everybody who makes or sells games wants, and that they, like, so, so many people make careers claiming they can bottle that lightning, and of course they can't, right? Yeah, and exactly. It's interesting, because there's also that middle space, right? Like, you have people truly, you know, 100% organically talking around the water cooler about TIS 100, and then you have yep. the kind of... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it in a way that isn't super unsavory, but the the incestuous uh, hype machine that that is kind yeah. of you know the 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 mainstream gaming press or what it what it became. But then there's this weird middle space, you know, as far as how you promote a game in, tw- in 2015 or how you find out about a game that's like YouTubers and podcasters and stuff like that. And th- there's a wide range. Uh, of content out there, some of it being produced with a big budget, some of it being put out by PBS in the case of YouTube now. Uh, you know, in the podcast space, there's everything from, you know, Mark Marin, who's at the point where he can interview President Obama, right, uh, to, <laughs> you know, me, just some asshole with a microphone with, a, with some people who find what he says interesting, you know. So... I don't. I don't know if really that's the the lightning people are are more trying to bottle. If 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 people like, I don't know, like social media gurus and, and people selling snake oil aside, 
is there a way to intentionally engage that group of people who are having some kind of an organic conversation or at the very least a chaotic conversation? Or, or are you saying maybe the way to go is to give up on that even and just and just make cool stuff and, you know, hope that people it's see it? It's not just cool stuff. It's like buzzworthy stuff. Sure, sure. You know, and like, so yeah, like the, I, I think about, you know, our, the extent that we can go buzzworthy making the kind of stuff we make is things like TIS 100, where, you know, it was a cheap game, so it wasn't that big of a risk, and we were able to do kind of crazy things like make it about assembly programming, uh, give it a 14-page manual instead of a tutorial. I love how much of the size of the game is probably, I mean, one, audio, and then two, the manual, right? That the game itself... Oh, is, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and so that's that was sort of, I think, the thing that made it kind of go viral. I mean, like, you know, it's a decent game, but... It's it's uh, it's an amazing premise, and with other games that that kind of takes a different form. I mean, you talk like No Man's Sky, right? Like that game has gotten an insane amount of hype because it has a compelling premise. And like, who gives a shit what the gameplay is like? You know, it has a compelling premise, and that's what people in like the the media and like YouTube celebrities and people like you, you know, like everybody needs they need a premise that they can like that they can work with, you know, and, and make a story out of, or or have like a, like a YouTube person, you know, somebody doing a let's play needs something that they can make a good video out of. And for all of its popularity, I've seen very very few TIS 100s let's plays because it doesn't work. Like it's not made for that. But if you if you compare it to like the the shock like horror games like Five Nights at like that was a game that was made for for being played by YouTubers, and so it's sort of you know like there's sort of like a survival of the fittest thing, right? Like the games that are like the best to be played by a, a let's player are going to be the ones they play. Sure. Well, t- well, TIS 100 works for a different subset of yeah. of of internet buzz people. Yeah. Yeah. People playing it, and th- and then in that regard, I actually like I think there's a lot of you know just because something is working for people doesn't mean that it's something I ought to be doing. You know, like, there's plenty of people making money in the gambling space. That doesn't mean I should go there, you know? Like, so, sure, sure. so there's stuff that's working for people that, that just because it's working doesn't make it good. And I, I'm proud of the fact that we can make a game like TIS 100 that the, to the extent that which it goes viral, it's because people are actually playing it and, like, really, like, getting a lot out of the experience. It's not like a game where, you know, uh, I think of uh, like Castle Story. You know, like not to shit on them or whatever, but like <laughs> that game had an insane amount of hype, and like all my friends, even like my game developer friends and stuff, like bought it, but like I never really heard them talk about playing it that much. Like they played it a little bit, and it wasn't bad, but like the, there was a disparity between the hype and the experience. And our games are so terrible at being hyped up that the experience is like by far the best part. And I feel like that's a a better thing to aim for as a person. Sure, I mean definitely. I mean, I so so you you make a good point, right? Like I, you know trotted out the facile old dictum that you should just make cool stuff and people will find it. But that's, of course, not true, right? It's not yeah. just, like, there's plenty of good stuff that never becomes popular. There's plenty of people who make good exactly. stuff that don't make a living making it. I think buzzworthy yeah. is a better way to to frame it, right? Not that it will necessarily get buzz, but that it's worthy of buzz. That the thing you've yeah. made is going it's to resonate. possible. <laughs> well, so, so, so this goes back to the your, your statement earlier that TIS 100 is a terrible game. So what I think you oh, mean yeah. by that is that it's it's a game that would make no sense to release on the hype train. It, it doesn't make any yeah, sense as a commercial game. 
No, it, it barely makes sense at all. <laughs> and well, it's it's yeah. abusive, and it's <laughs> like it's just so many. It's got so many things that are that fly in the face of conventional wisdom. Sure. Well, so to me, it seems like okay. So so we talked in our in our first conversation actually about how ironclad tactics was not the way you wanted to follow up Space Chem, or more to the point, didn't seem to be the way that your fan base wanted you to follow up Space Chem. Yeah. So then, how do you follow not- up Space Chem? And Infinifactory yeah. is, I think, a really smart answer to that question. You know, you make it visually attractive. You base the interface on sort of the way things have gone in the indie space, you know, generally, like moving toward uh, an aesthetic that is a little bit, it's a little bit, you know, we talked about this, it's a little bit painterly and it's a little bit Minecrafty, mm-hmm. and it's it, there's a lot of things that people like in it. So you did a lot of thinking about how to make it friendly and approachable and how to do a commercial game that doesn't compromise at all on the richness of what you do, but is appealing. TIS 100, it seems to me, is precisely the opposite. It's just, it's just you completely say, fuck it. We're going to make yeah, no yeah. affordances at all to any of that stuff. Yeah. We're just going to make a hardcore... I mean, I, okay, so we haven't actually described the game for anyone who hasn't played it. Could you describe TIS 100 a little bit? Yeah, so TIS 100 is a quote-unquote game where <laughs> you... You basically, it's it's a puzzle game. It's a lot like our other puzzle games. You're presented with a challenge. You need to write a program that does a specific thing. Uh, the story is that you're you're sort of repairing this corrupted computer that you found that you know you, you found under mysterious circumstances. And so these there's a, a list. There's like a map of all the segments within the computer. And when you go into one, it says, "Hey, you need to you know write a program that takes this input stream and then doubles each value in it." For instance. And then you have to write a program that does it. But you're not going and writing a program in a real programming language. You're writing it in a like a fake low-level assembly language for hardware that's actually like really different than any real hardware. I mean, unless you're a programmer, you wouldn't really be able to spot the differences. It would just feel like you know crazy shit to a, a non-programmer probably. But like to a programmer, it's especially novel because it's a kind of computer architecture that doesn't really exist but conceivably could. And that's kind of the game. And it looks like an old, like, DOS interface, you know? It's, I, when I was first prototyping it, I, I showed a screenshot to my wife. I'm like, what do you think of this? She's like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> that looks intense, you know? And it, it is. So trying to make something that feels, basically, it, it, like a, a game that feels like you're doing old school programming without the stuff that actually makes old school programming terrible. And so the funny thing is you were saying that this is a game that sort of, like, throws away all of our design conventions of Infinifactory. And I guess you're talking about specifically like things that are trendy. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, getting, getting sidetracked. Um, no, 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 I'm curious what you meant. So you, you meant that there that there is trendy stuff in TIS 100. It's just a completely different well, set of trends. I was gonna say that there wasn't trendy stuff, but there is. Like, there's you know we're still tapping into trends of like making it look text based and making it look retro, like in a different kind of retro. But that's absolutely a trend. So sure. we yeah. are doing trends, and there's a lot of design stuff in it. There's like special, like there's specifically. Things that aren't present in the game that if the game were made by somebody else who is not as smart as I am would have put in, and it's better because they're not in there. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, of course, but, you know, like, the fact that there's no, like, a big thing in computers is binary and bits, and, like, like to a non, to a programmer, it makes a lot of sense, and it seems like something that absolutely has to be in a game about old-school programming, but to a non-programmer, it makes no sense. It's like, hey, you need to learn a new number system that has letters in it. And it's like, what? Wait, hold on. What are you talking about? And so, so if the game was, you know, like if anybody else made this game, it probably would have been about binary and hexadecimal and like bullshit programming stuff. But we, we specifically <laughs> left that out because it would create sort of a like a, an unnecessary barrier to, to people getting into this game. And the cool thing about TS100 is that it's a game about programming where you do not know have to know how to program in order to play it. Uh, a lot of people think that all of our fans are programmers, but there's a good number of them who aren't. 
You know, they're, they just like solving problems. And so the cool thing about TS100 is that if you've never programmed before in your life, you, but you're still good at you like problem solving, you can pick up the game, read the manual, learn all the things that this puzzle device does, and then totally play the game no problem. Like, you don't need to know how to program. It's, it's almost like an inside-out educational game. Because like you say, this is not real computer architecture, or, it's, or, or more to the point, it's not the computer architecture of anything that you're likely to see running out in the real world. But I did, I played the yeah. game for a while, and then I rewatched. Uh, God, I'll, I'll link to it in the description of the, uh, of the episode. There was that video that uh, the Double Fine guys did, did when they were working on Hack and Slash, where they mm-hmm. uh, hacked a copy of uh, the original Legend of Zelda live in front of you, like showed, showed how they would find you know, a bunch of variables, and then they messed with the actual assemb- the assembly code in the running game. And then wrote to the cartridge and showed what the result was, right? And I rewatched that and was able to follow other little tricks they were doing that I hadn't caught the first time because I had played a little bit of TIS 100. So, like, it as someone who's never really worked in assembly or anything, it was interesting. You know, like I did, I did learn stuff about that way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, it also reminds me. Like, it, they're kind of educational. They're also kind of anti-educational. Have you ever read the book Anathem by Neil Stevenson? I have not. Oh, that's a good book. But so one of the little tiny details in it is that there's like monks and as punishment, they're forced to memorize like things from this book that's full of complex but fake knowledge. (laughs) Because like if you're a scholar, that's like the worst punishment is having to learn things that aren't true. Sure. And it's like a really well thought out book of falsitudes. And so I think I think about that a lot with what we make is that. It's like an educational game, but as punishment where you have to learn something that's challenging but not remotely useful. Well, but sure. It's fun. Yeah, your knowledge of how those machine, how 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 the TIS one hundred works is not gonna is not gonna be something you can put on a job application. But I but I don't know that that's the only yeah. kind of. I mean, like hypothetically, again, I haven't read the book, but you know, the monks could be learning a system of thought they haven't learned, which is you know, I, I assume if it's a punishment, then the whole idea is that it is without nutrition, right? Like it's just junk that yeah, they're having exactly. to ingest. But I don't exactly. know that that's TIS-100, at least for somebody who's who's not a programmer. And for whatever it's worth, I have a friend who uh, is a programmer. He uh, works on graphics tech mostly. He's like a, you know, not quite technical art stuff, but he's, he's all over the map. But anyway, he works in games, and he couldn't get that into Space Chem because he said that it felt like work to him. But mm-hmm. he loves TIS-100. He's played it for, I, I think, 10 or so hours since it came out. That's so. hilarious. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know that he can account for it. He just really, really enjoys it in a way that, that it, you know, other games, including Space Chem, didn't quite click for him. So, I, I've actually seen a fair number of people who are like, oh, this is the first Dactronics game I could actually get into. Interesting. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> I actually, I think we actually, we sort of accidentally broadened our audience with TIS-100 to like, programmers with no sense of fun but who like a challenge like TIS 100 like people who like the gra- tur- they're turned off by the graphics in Infinifactory you know yeah like just a, yeah. a weird subgroup of people we have captured their hearts I think no sense of fun would be a great bullet point for the for the steam page <laughs> with an exclamation on our point. description we say it's contrary to what it may look like TIS 100 is actually a game <laughs> <laughs> well, it says it's like the, the assembly, uh, you know, uh, oh, uh, game yeah. you never asked for or whatever. Yeah, it's... the assembly language programming game you never asked for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that, I... honestly, that was a, a really successful little thing because a lot of people, like, they'll joking. Like, we gave them a joke to use when telling their friends what the game is because mm. it actually does kind of, like, explain the attitude of the game. I thought of that, oh, God, probably, like, a couple months before we released it. It just kind of occurred to me. I'm like, you know, we should we should make that our, our selling point because that's hilarious and it captures the spirit of it and it really it gave people i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna totally jump topics but it's gonna come back around which is that uh i've probably talked about before honestly the book save the cat about screenwriting 
Um, I don't actually know if you and I have talked about that. I've, I'm familiar oh, okay. with I'm familiar with it and all of the discussion around it. But yeah, for so for anybody who doesn't know about it, uh, would you do you want to describe it real quick? It's a book about screenwriting. Everybody follows it, from what I understand. It's <laughs> it's the book about screenwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a book that's been used at, in sort of that the same way that people misuse uh, the Joseph Campbell you know hero's journey stuff, the Hero of the Thousand <laughs> Faces, as a template rather than a reflection on why stories have things in common. Save the Cat sort of tells you minute by minute how a screenplay, quote unquote, should work, and yeah. and, and people use it. And and once you've read it, it takes the fun out of a lot of mainstream movies. So yeah. So for anybody yeah. who's not familiar, that's what that is. <laughs> That's why television is booming now. The number of people in the population who have seen or who have read, read uh, Save the Cat is increasing, and now they can't watch mainstream movies anymore. <laughs> That's actually a really good working theory. That's someone's doctoral thesis in like media studies. Yeah, they right probably now. trend together, and as we all know, uh, yeah, correlation yeah. is causality. I've so, heard that. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Yeah. So, so there's this the first. I think it's like the first thing in the book, Save the Cat, is that if you're going to write a movie, you need a log line, which is basically your one sentence pitch. And your your elevator pitch, but the thing that like it's when people talk about elevator pitches, it's just like you're in an elevator and you have to sell somebody on your idea. Like that's not really like a realistic scenario. Like no one, (laughs) anybody you meet in an elevator, they're never going to give a shit about you. You know, the odds that you end up in an elevator with somebody who cares is very low. But what you do need is a way for people who are learning about your game or people who like your game to tell, or your movie, to tell other people about it. So a log line is not, you know, how you pitch the movie to an executive. I mean, I guess in practice it would be. But more importantly, it's how your friend, like a person who you don't know, is looking through a newspaper to try to decide, or the internet, trying to decide what movie to go see that weekend with their friends. And they're just reading off, they're like, oh, it's a movie about, like, a, a cop and his brother-in-law go on, like, a, you know, a, a ride-along that turns bad. You know, like, it's the one sentence that somebody is using to pitch the movie to somebody else so that they can go buy it or watch it or whatever. And the same thing, you need that for games, too. Because, like, and that's what, looping back, that, that is very much what the assembly language programming game you never asked for is for TS-100. Because that's one line that some asshole I don't know who likes the game can turn some <laughs> other asshole I don't know into somebody who's going to buy the game. And that's, like, that's how stuff goes viral. So, yeah, like, having yeah. a... And if you look at all the games that do go viral, they all have really compelling, like, you know, sometimes we call it a premise or like a, you know, like something, but like they have to have that, that log line, you know, like Hyperlight Drifter. Oh, it's like a, it's like an old Nintendo game, but it looks like the future with lasers and purples and fuchsias and, you know, teals or whatever. I don't like, sometimes it can be a visual thing. Like a screenshot can play the role of a log line, an animated GIF, something that in a very like brief exchange tells you exactly what the, the media is about and why you need to consume it. You know, it, cap- it captures your imagination. And the thing is that, like, it doesn't answer the question. It starts your mind going. Like, you start ima- you hear this one sentence and you start imagining what your experience is going to be like when you watch that movie or play that game. And that's when you've sold somebody. And that's the problem we've had in the past. And I think this is honestly, like, if there was, like, one big fucking Zachtronics lesson for how to make media and sell it, which is that you need to have that, that sort of, that first interaction with people needs to be something not just that answers their question, they say, okay, and then move on. It needs to be something that, like, 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 oh God, like, like impregnates their brain with the idea of your thing so that they can't help it. So I'm going to, I'm going to totally go off for a second and come back, but, um, there's a, oh God. Okay. So space Camp has tons of text in it as a tutorial, right? Mm-hmm. And it fails utterly because nobody wants to read all that text. I know and I so, did. Yeah. Nobody does. I don't. So, so somebody, at, one of my friends who works at Valve told me that, you know, he worked on Portal, and he said that you can really only expect people to read one or two words. 
Like, that's all the text you get. But he never said why. And so what I think the reason is, is that if you see, if you, somebody shows you a word or two, you can't, you can't, like, avert your eyes fast enough to not read that word. Like, it is sort of like just the fact, just the process of seeing it automatically engages your, your like, symbol detection process. And, like, it just, boom, like, it's, you know that word. You know, you, you've read it without even trying. Versus reading a bunch of text, you have to start engaging not just your pattern word recognition, but your, your scanning of, like, how do I actually read and parse the sentence? And that's something that people have to do voluntarily. It's hard to show somebody a paragraph and have them accidentally read it. But if you show somebody one word, like, they can't not read it. Yeah. And so there's sort of that, like, have you, have you read Snow Crash? Uh, yes, I have. So there's this big premise in Snow Crash of something that, like, a, like a, a mimetic virus, mm-hmm. that's something that you, you look at it, and just, just the fact, just, just having it enter your brain infects you. And that is, like, very much, like, what, like, a log line or a screenshot or these things are doing is that, like, you sort of, you know, we're always consuming information. We're in sort of this, like, promiscuous information gathering mode where we'll take in everything around us, like, but only to a slight degree. Mm-hmm. You know, like, reading an article takes effort, but we're all the time we're reading headlines or we're looking at, like, a screenshot here or there. And so that, like, in, in the process of this, like, promiscuous information gathering, like, you, that's, that's the opportunity you need to create, like, the perfect viral payload such that when somebody sees it, it triggers their imagination, and now they can't stop thinking about your game. And they're not even, like, they didn't choose to think about it, they're just doing it. And so, like, you're almost, like, controlling them, and, like, you're, you're sort of, like, you've hacked their brain, right? Like, that is very much, like, I make games about hacking, it is exactly the same thing. You have hacked their brain because, like, you've taken control. Of their of their thought process, and I, I think that's what makes stuff be successful. I think that's why TIS one hundred, you know, the assembly language program game you're asked for. I mean, I'm, if you go back to that, not that many people are infected by TIS one hundred, so it might be a little bit of a, an exaggeration. But I really think that's what's going on: is that people are creating these little, you know, mostly by accident, probably, but creating these little things that are like hacking people's brains. Totally. Well, and I, I think it works maybe best when it's a joke. I mean, like, I've, I've heard a lot of people describe mm-hmm. the Dark Souls series as what if Zelda hated you but respected you. And it's like there's <laughs> there's a self-effacing humor about people who like yeah. those games and the masochism of it. I also heard the, the newest Pixar movie. Someone, uh, I saw, like, an image macro floating around that had stills from all the previous movies. And it was like, what if toys had feelings? What if monsters had feelings? What if cars had feelings? And then it has a, a still from Inside Out. And it says, what if feelings had feelings? Right. Yeah, so like exactly. that's that is kind of self-effacing and it is absurd, but it's also a really, really good description of why you might want to see that movie. And once it's in exactly. your head, it's not going to leave it. I think that's a really good exactly. way to put it. And, it, and it, the fact that it doesn't shut it down, that it, it doesn't shut down the thought process, it starts it up. Because then you start thinking, what if feelings had feelings? Like if you think about that just in the slightest degree, you're like, what what if feelings had feelings? <laughs> like what would what would you know, like you, like it, it, it opens up like it just like, you know, it, it sets stuff in motion. You know, and that's what makes it so good. It's also it's also a completely like you say, it's how you do business in 2015, because the, the concept of the elevator pitch, like you say, is flawed because you're not going to be in an elevator with a cigar chomping tastemaker who's going to hear your idea and then disseminate it at yeah. will to the unwashed masses who could exactly. not possibly understand the grandeur of your elevator pitch. This is something that, like you say, a person says to a person and then passes it along mimetically. Like, yeah, it's that's yeah. exactly it. That's the goal, man. That That's OK. OK, so so while we're talking about this. I, I think maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit for for finding a market that like it like it isn't just hypnosis, right? You haven't just convinced someone that they want something that they don't. It's it's possible that people just wanted this kind of crazy game and didn't know they wanted it. And yeah, absolutely. 
I don't know. I was thinking about that when I was listening to um, the third episode of the Zachtronics podcast. See how I brought that back around. Uh, when, you, <laughs> when you got into a, a relatively technical discussion uh, with Tim Saxon, um, who, who uh, is, is one of the, you know, the, the brothers who created uh, Jamestown and now Jamestown Plus. Um, mm-hmm. There were three people who worked on Jamestown, if I recall, he mentioned on the podcast. But he's, yes. he's, one of the, he's, he's the, the person who wrote their in-house engine. And you got into some pretty deep you know, problems that he solved. <laughs> Uh, you even he got went, into some deep stuff. I didn't understand half. <laughs> well, you you tr- okay? Fair enough. And to be and to be sorry. Fair, but no, going. no, that's I'm I'm not disillusioned. I'm relieved if anything because I didn't either. But but you did share you know a technical problem you'd solved, and I believe his exact words were you know compliments to the chef. Uh, so you know or, or that your team had solved right. You didn't you didn't take personal credit. Mm-hmm. But but point being right. There's there's a hunger. I don't know. Like like it it it's. I loved it. I loved the fact that he got into that, you know, even though all it really had me do was Google some of the stuff he was talking about and see if I could get my head around it, because there was a fearlessness about going all the way down into that problem in the midst of a conversation, you know? And yeah. I feel like that's the same kind of, like, fearlessness is probably the term I would use for TIS 100, and that's maybe what you mean about it being a bad game, even, or, or a terrible game, to use your exact word. Like, it's not fearful at all that you won't like it or won't understand it or won't want to approach it. It just, it, it appears to you as an object that exists. And if you're interested, please continue to investigate, like literally an object, right? Like a computer. Yeah. And if you're not interested, then, then it's not surprised that you wouldn't be, you know? And that's kind of that. I definitely agree. That's just me ranting about the game, which I like. Um, and <laughs> uh, it's great. So let's talk a little bit about the podcast. Um, so as I mentioned, okay. you're three episodes deep. This you kind of bury the lead, right? You say that this is a, a show where you ask questions only another indie developer would know to ask to indie developers, but it isn't even really about the questions. The questions actually come from kind of a template, right? You say like, "What's your background? Yeah. How did you get into indie games? What's a time you fucked up?" I'm, um, I'm really unoriginal. I just have a list that I reuse. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Like, it's a good list, and the the reason that it's an uncommonly great podcast, I would say, is not that the questions are are themselves brilliant. It's that there's this really great expectation on both sides of the conversation that the guest and you are going to be able to get deeper into technology or business or whatever. Um, It's great. And like, it got me to, (laughs) I actually logged back into my uh, kingdom of loathing character after uh, hearing episode one. I had anniversary shorts waiting for me because it had been a while since I played, (laughs) but it was, uh, it was great. Right. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, So is, is the plan to keep them coming out semi-regularly? It's been like monthly so far. I guess. Okay. I don't, so for a while, for a while, I was bottlenecked by the fact that I had to pr- edit the podcast, mm-hmm. which I hate doing. It is awful. It's, <laughs> I don't like listening to myself. I certainly don't like listening to myself for two hours while I edit out all the little like weird sound pops and gasping breaths and all of that. But I actually found somebody who'll do that for me now. Oh, nice! And At the risk of this becoming so, a podcast about podcasting, that's that that's quite the luxury. So it is. So that was that was the last episode. I didn't have to edit myself, and that actually made it really enjoyable, and we got it out really quickly. Um, the problem now actually is that I, I'm I'm kind of swamped with with work stuff, and I don't know who to interview next. Hmm. I, so <laughs> I need to dig through my Rolodex. I know a lot of game developers. So one of the things I've tried to focus on is. Um, interviewing people that I have a good personal rapport with. You know, I actually had somebody who had like some random indie studio like ask, they they tweeted at us, they're like, hey, can we be on your podcast? I'm like, eh, probably not. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. Like it has to be, like I don't want somebody to come on and just like shill their, their new game, like their first game, God forbid. You know, like mm. you could release your first game and go out of business. I don't want to hear from you. 
Like, you know, I want to hear from the people who they've like seen a lot of shit, you know, like they've, they've, they've had the experience to actually talk about things that went really well and things that went really poorly and, and somebody that I can have like a really friendly talk with. So I have to, I have to dig up somebody. I've got, I've got a lot of friends though. So a lot of acquaintances. Sure. <laughs> I like how you downgraded that or, or, or uh, yeah, yeah. No, I've got a lot of Facebook friends. <laughs> That's all that really matters anyway, as we've been talking about. Yeah. Everything's mimetic. No. So, so yeah. I, uh, I, I really like it and I'll, I'll link to uh, the podcast obviously. And uh, it's, it, it's been really interesting, right? Cause again, as somebody who talks to game developers, like you really, there is an alchemy. Like, I don't know how much of it is simply because you're a developer and a guy who runs a studio and you know this stuff and how much of it is because they're people you have a good or, you know, a, a good working or personal relationship with. But like, there is some really cool dark magic. Like, actually, I'd say the third episode, I don't want to talk about in too much detail because it needs a spoiler warning. There's like a story he tells <laughs> where like a character emerges and turns out to be someone you've heard of it. Like, it's great. It's It's just really, really cool <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so we're talking about the business side of it a little bit, and you talk about that on the podcast as well. Let's come back to like launch week. Uh, how is it? How has it gone? Has it felt like a launch week? Have there been? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to tell me a time you fucked up. Question. It's probably you know it's probably not. Right, <laughs> but but yeah, like how has it gone? How is the how is the the release the proper release of Infinite Factory gone for you? Pretty good. It's like the laziest launch week ever, right? I mean, it's it, and it, in honesty, like it's really just like a soft launch, right? Like so, we were in early access, which is like a soft, soft launch, and then we like we've been pushing, we'd been pushing some like little uh, like kind of stuff that was leftover updates ever since our la- like our third content update, probably mm-hmm. like a couple weeks ago, and and just earlier this week, we're like, hey, you know, I guess I guess we can technically launch it, which the only thing that only enables two things, it enables people who like have experienced the game and wanted to write reviews to slap a number on their review like PC Gamer has. He gave us a fucking 93. Yeah. Yeah. Not that that matters that. anymore, but yeah. <laughs> I like it when they're good. Yeah, exactly. I was actually looking to find out why it wasn't 100. There was no information about why it wasn't 100. So it's just, we got a 93 and that's cool. And, uh, you know, so it enables that and then it enabled us to get on the front page of Steam just because they don't really, like, it happens automatically when you release your game. So those are, like, the only two things that are different. And, you know, we've seen, like, a, you know, an, ex- an acceptable spike in sales. Um, there, I, I, honestly, nothing else has changed. Sure, fair <laughs> Just enough. pushed an update today to make the game faster, because it can always be faster. And uh, right now, so I guess the, the big thing maybe is that it, it freed me up to work on other stuff. Because now we're working on some maybe like console stuff for Infinite Factory. Who knows? Um, wrapping up TIS 100, we got like 100, at least 100 user created puzzles for our like user created campaign we're working on. Mm. So, lots of stuff to work on. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I noticed uh, with Infinite Factory, there's even there's even achievements for trying user generated stuff. So clearly, you're trying to push you know things in yeah, that direction, yeah. and it makes sense, right? Like it's the same direction Portal Two eventually went into, where it's like we need to lean on the strength of the system, and we're not going to create content for the rest of time. We're going to give people the tools to create their own content, and and the new uh, you know easier to use level editor. Uh, for Infinite Factory, puzzle editor is 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 great, and I've I've. It's harder with. to use. It has. <laughs> it's much harder to use, but it does much more. Sure, fair point. Yeah, easier to use is precisely the opposite of what it is. The I should I should say yeah. the advanced the the uh, the asked for version, right? The the. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's the one we use. Kind of terrible. The levels that people have made, it's just like, oh god, like these are breaking all of our internal style guide <laughs> rules, you know? Like yeah. somebody, like we we we've had really bad lighting performance, and like in a recent update, it's gotten much better. But we were always very restricted in how many lights we can use, and 
because they never really optimized for that because that was never a big thing. And uh, the first user-generated puzzle I see is just like light, 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 all around the perimeter of it. It's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, the performance is probably so bad in that level. <laughs> Did you try it? Was it? Uh, no, I didn't try it. I don't, I don't even want to know. <laughs> <laughs> we did a, we actually just re, we rewrote, uh, I didn't, uh, Keith rewrote a huge part of our, like our lighting stuff. So it's much, much faster now. Not that it matters, but. <laughs> it matters for that guy. He, he thought yeah, he broke yeah, it. That, yeah, that yeah. one puzzle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. And, and it's, I wonder if that was, I don't know. I don't know if he knew what he was doing, if he'd noticed that it dragged a little bit or if it was just like, this looks cool. Lights everywhere. But yeah, that's interesting. I, I think it's. Probably the latter. Um, <laughs> very likely, very likely. But that's, I can see that. I mean, you. so one of the things we talked about last time was, you know, I, I told you how I play Infinifactory and you said the way you play it's kind of similar, which is that, you know, even if the cycles are pretty well optimized, if it's not like an aesthetically beautiful uh, mm-hmm. factory, I'm just not interested. Like I will redo stuff that basically works just to, to make, you know, make the lines look clean or whatever, or not clean, depending on the mood I'm in, you know, but, but it, yeah. I, I feel like once you get into the ability to create puzzles, the same instinct is going to kick in, right? You're going to want the, the shape of the level to have some kind of geometry that's just pleasing to you, you know, regard, regardless of the internal like style. Guide. <laughs> For example. Yeah, exactly. Floating in space. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, it's interesting because, yeah, so on, on Infinifactory, we did Steam Workshop, mm-hmm. which allows anybody to make levels and share them without any intervention from us. We added a level editor to TIS 100. Um, we did not add Workshop integration. Hmm. And I don't think we're going to because I, I like our fans and I like that they make levels, but a lot of them are not levels that we would ever ship, mm. which is sort of an interesting thing. I mean, so we of the 100, we were able to take about 20 that were like that were something that we could massage into fitting our style guide and being a level that's you know I feel like that I would have shipped like had I invented it. Sure. Um, but it's actually challenging. I mean, like so in TIS one hundred, there's a lot of you know there's sort of a lot of inclination towards math problems, and so maybe a third of them where people are it's like, hey, here's a, a difficult math problem from Wikipedia that I've turned into a puzzle, mm. and like but like if you have to look up the algorithm on Wikipedia, like that's not what TIS one hundred is about. And so, like, those puzzles, like, couldn't make the cut. And it's a weird thing because somebody, I did an AMA the other day, uh, just about, like, with the Infinifactory release on Reddit. And um, one of the questions that somebody asked is, like, have there ever been any user-created puzzles that you wish you'd come up with and included in a campaign? And the, the answer is absolutely no and it sounds like i like it sounds like i don't appreciate our fans but like that's clearly not true because otherwise we wouldn't keep making we've put level editors in like all of our games you know since space chem except for ironclad tactics because that doesn't make sense but all of our puzzle games about level editors because like so clearly we think there's value to it but like they're just not the same kind of puzzles that we make and like if the games were filled with those kinds of puzzles i don't think they would be compelling in the way that they are but it's it's interesting to see the kind of you know people like to make puzzles that are sort of specific and hard and often rely on like they often like express like a clever thing that you can do in the game some of them are just downright impossible unless you know like a specific trick Mm-hmm. versus our puzzles are trying to be very very open-ended and sort of tell like a tell a story through what the puzzle is asking you to do and and it's a different it's a totally different style of puzzle so yeah. it's job secure for me i guess <laughs> well i mean sure i mean at, at the risk of sounding like i'm just flattering you right like not just anybody can do what you do in terms of design because your stuff always does tell a story and it always is 
uh, like even TIS 100, I would say is more is a little bit more acce- accessible. Is the wrong word. It's more approachable than you're giving it credit it's more for, approachable right? Approachable than it should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more approachable than it probably has any right to be. Like you, like someone who doesn't have the foreknowledge of of how programming should work logically, uh, and or doesn't have the patience to figure it out, is not going to get very far. But even that person can have an experience of like, man, this is a, it's crazy that this object exists in the world and I am amused by its existence, right? Like there's, there's people who want to engage with it just on that level. Like just, just knowing that that game exists makes the space of games richer in, in an interesting way, right? Like it's, it's going to be a, an often cited example, I think, of how far you can take the concept of an engineering game, you know? So yeah. it's valuable in that sense. There's a funny thing that somebody else asked on the AMA, which is how I come up with not the puzzles, but the mechanics of the game itself. Hmm. And I think that's actually kind of funny. Cause the, so the, like it comes from being interested in real life engineering and having like a, an interest in trying to, to learn it and then being absolutely annoyed when somebody makes something too complicated and it takes me too much effort to figure it out. Like <laughs> I'm not like if I, if I, I would be in, I would be in a worse position if I were smarter than I am because like I think like if I under if I was like one of those people who's like really good at understanding like math or engineering concepts, I think my games would be harder, but it's sort of that my like I'll, if I'll see something it's like wow, this is clearly too complicated. If it wasn't like because I can't easily learn this without trying, it's too complicated. Therefore, this is bad because it's overcomplicated. And sort of that like that that sort of being full of myself and feeling like I shouldn't have to bother to to learn something has given me I think a, a pretty decent sense of what's too complicated and what's not. Yeah, well, you're hovering yeah. around the old saw that are the really good developer needs uh, what is it impatience, laziness, and hubris, right? Like yeah, exactly. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there's something to that. I think there's definitely something to that, and I think I think that your games once once made and out there in the world tap into the same parts of people's brains, like that just desire to be like, oh, but it could be this much better, or oh, I see that this doesn't work and I would like it to. I mean, that's that's the specific subset of that part of your brain. I, I don't know if I'm mapping brains correctly at all here, but that that's what TIS 100 especially taps into, right? Like you're you're presented with a thing that is built but doesn't work, make it work, you know, at least initially. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that makes complete sense. I, I think you also mentioned the first time we talked that you were watching how it's made when you started playing with the idea for Infinite Factory. You just you got in, yeah, you got interested absolutely. in the idea of factories as cool things and wanted to make a game about building things that built things. Yeah, basically, and that was the the thing a long time ago that inspired Infinite Factory was from watching uh, how it's made, and then we went back to watching it for Infinite Factory. So yeah, and then likewise, TIS 100 is inspired by attempting to and failing because it was too complicated to make a computer from scratch. So that was something that this is the oh god, almost like two years ago, probably me and Keith started. We're like, hey, you know, we both know a lot about low-level programming and building computers and like circuit board design and stuff. So let's build a Z80 computer. And so we started doing it. We ordered circuit boards from China. And we got all these parts, and then we we built a computer. And Keith started writing an operating system for it. And then we just sort of hit the slog of like, oh god, this is horrible. So one of the th- I guess one of the things that made the project tricky is that we weren't allowed to use any outside computers. Really, like we like it's really easy to build a Z80 computer if you. Um, write all the code for it on a real computer and then just download the code, but we had to bootstrap the code up from hardware. So like that there, there was like a, a temporary board that allowed us to punch in the initial few memory values like onto the ROM. And then um, from there we could bootstrap up into like, okay, now we can edit code on the computer from the computer itself using like a keyboard plugged in and sort of just bootstrapping all the software up just from switches like people had to do back in the day. 
And it, it was it's very difficult, it turns out. But it gave us like a real appreciation for old processors and how they would often be very good at some things and very, very bad at other things. And sort of like like the Z80 is it's a bitch to program in assembly, you know, especially when you don't have like all the full features of an assembler and you're doing it in machine code. But like one of the things that's really good at is doing sort of C style, like I'm going to loop over this array until I hit a certain character or I'm going to count down or something. Like it actually has special instructions built in for that that at the time was a selling point saying like, hey, if you get this processor, it's really fast at doing this kind of thing that crops up in C a lot. Mm. And so designing these, these processes, like the idea of like creating a processor instruction set that's sort of this asymmetric, like we have to do everything, but we're going to try to do certain things very well as a selling point to our engineering customers. That's what the TIS-100 is. It is a computer that by all means sucks, except for a couple of things that it's really good at, which is like stream processing. And then that sort of forms the story of the machine is that it's a game about stream processing. Well, what would it be used for? You know, it's like, well, you could use that for like, monitoring communication streams maybe and spying on people and then from that we sort of it started off as a joke and ended up becoming the story of like this you know kind of like authoritarian like a computer used by an authoritarian government or something maybe i don't it's the next update to TIS 100 is going to explain a little bit more of the story. So Maybe it's just because I had just listened to the Brendan Chung episode of your podcast, but I was thinking it was like very specifically kind of kind of Cold War, sexy 60s, you know, espionage kind of stuff. Because the USSR gets mentioned pretty explicitly, right? So like there's 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 that aspect. Oh, maybe, yeah, it's it's sexy 80s. Sexy 80s, yes, sexy. right, right, right. Yes, yeah. I, alliteration will always... A thing that never, that never happened. Yeah, right. There was no sexy 80s. <laughs> it was a sexy time for computers, but... Well, that's, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's 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 an alternate timeline thing, clearly, right? Like, both in the sense that, yeah, sexy, sexy 80s didn't... It's maybe, ooh, ooh, okay, well... I, so I, I won't claim to have uh, gotten all that far into the game, so there may be surprises I've not yet uncovered, but okay, so so do you it's mean that it goes... With, it's a game filled with surprises. I had no question about that. I don't know if you mean that it goes deeper than you might notice at first, or if you mean you yourself were not sure what the story was as you started writing it, or maybe both, but... Oh, well, uh, so I, honestly, like, so Keith wrote the manual. So he's one of our programmers. So he's our, like our big programmer, I guess. And uh, he does a lot of programming here. And he wrote the technical manual because he has a lot of experience with old technical manuals. And so we really, like, recreate. Like, the reason why the, the TIS-100 manual has such that, like, authentic old computer tone mm-hmm. is because of Keith. And he started writing in some jokes about, like, you know, like, this node... Like, don't ask about this node. It's restricted, you know, for a reason or something. And, like, writing these notes in. And they were really funny. And, like, we ended up sort of just building the story off of that paranoia. But, yeah, it definitely goes off. Like, we didn't, we both didn't know what we were doing when we started with regard to the story. And then it ends up going in a, a totally, like, different direction. It's, it's, it's complicated. It's fair enough. <laughs> You'll just have to play the game, I guess. That's fair. That's fair. No, and I, I like that we've not spoiled that much so far. And I can't spoil that much because I have more of it to play. But that's, that's great. No, yeah. so, so I, Again, I really, really like that. I, th- I think a lot of people who are not engineers or not developers see your games and assume that they're not going to be narratively rich simply by virtue of the fact that they are rich as far as engineering and systems go, right? But but that's that's deceptive, right? Like, you always find really interesting ways to hide those bits of narrative. We talked about the allegorical aspects of Space Chem on a previous one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Infinifactory uh, has all kinds of narrative elements, right? From, from I mean, you start with story before you get to any of the puzzle stuff. Uh, the environmental yeah. storytelling is really carefully done, and there's, there's distinct phases of the narrative in the game. Like I, yeah. I get the sense from everything I've I've heard you you know say and all the work of yours that I've seen that that conveying a narrative with a not even just a system but an experience overall is is maybe 
if not the main goal you have, it's kind of what gets you up in the morning or what gets you started on a project. Yeah, it's 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 an important. It's like the 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 heart and mind of a Zachtronics game, right? Like the the heart is the the narrative that's embedded in it, and then the mind is like all the puzzle mechanics. And you could one thing we hear a lot, and something that we kind of just debate a lot is like you know what's necessary. You know, a lot of our a lot of our fan, well, some of our fans will say. Oh, you don't need a story. You've got plenty of gameplay here, you know. And certainly, like at the end of the day, I doubt anybody would slog through the puzzle stuff just because they were intrigued by the story. But at the same time, we actually do get reports from people. Where they say, like, you know, I, I really stuck with the game when it got hard because I wanted to see what happened with the story. And like, I probably sound like if anybody's listened to me talk about this on other podcasts, I sound like a broken record because this is what it always comes back to when we talk about this. And when I talk about this, is that we have no proof that our games would sell just as well without the story. Sure. You know? and yeah, I don't, I, don't make wanna, a lot of, I was just going to say, I don't want to dishearten you. You've actually talked about this on this podcast the last time we talked. Oh, we talked sorry. A little bit. No, yeah. no, you don't need to apologize at I'll all. I'll keep I it think. short. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was just going to, you know, so that you don't have to repeat yourself more than, like, if you have more points to make, that's always good. But, like, what you said last time that I thought was so great was that these are intangibles, right? Like, like, like I think you were about to say, you can't know whether the game would have sold better if it didn't have the story, nor yeah. would somebody who played Infinifactory necessarily attribute their enjoyment of the game primarily or even you know largely to the story but that stuff soaks in like it makes everything you're doing feel richer and more meaningful and more real and more important and more compelling you know me so well <laughs> well we've done a lot of these now to be fair i mean it's yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't mean so to stomp on still... you with your own words there nobody likes no to it's okay themselves. no that's... honestly that's better than i could say it so yeah and, and months later we still I'm, I'm still just as confused about about all of it but you do what you do, I guess. <laughs> so, okay, can you say what's next? Or is, is it still in the really, really early just messing around with stuff phase? Oh, I have no idea. I can say authoritatively that I have no idea. TIS 100, I mean, that's really the big thing, is wrapping up Infinifactory, everything Infinifactory related, wrapping up TIS 100. Um, I'm, really, I'm really excited about the update, actually, to TIS, TIS 100, because we're adding a bunch of 25 new puzzles, um, I really like. Uh, I like the story in TIS 100, but I like the story in this new chapter. It's 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 much funnier. It's I really I really really like this part. And um, adding that, adding achievements. I'm actually really excited about the achievements in TIS 100 because we sort of accidentally created a couple achievements in Space Chem, which were really fun. And they're like these weird. There's one my my favorite one I guess is called Power Couple, and you have to solve a specific level with only two welders. And it's one where you want to use five welders on. And so like the kind of solution you need in order to solve it with two two welders, it's like a really oddball cool solution. And like none of our games so far have ever really asked you to do something like that. Like like totally go out of your way and like here's like a weird constraint that has nothing to do with the scoring system, but it's like this clever little trick. And it turns out achievements are a really good way to incentivize that. Sure. And and like, you know, we, we already designed the game, so adding some sort of in-game incentive system would be kind of complicated, but it turns out that Steam achievements are perfectly acceptable. And so likewise with TIS 100, we're going to be adding like a handful of achievements that are fun little challenges. You know, solve this level without using the swap instruction. Or solve a, a level that's all of, solve the, the tutorial that introduces conditionals without using any conditionals. You know? And they're just these like really fun little challenges and uh, it's kind of stupid, but I, I'm actually really excited about adding them because it just it it changes the way up in the game in like a really refreshing way. 
Yeah, no, I don't think that's stupid at all. I think, I mean, like, there's certain, uh, even when you added uh, achievements to Infinifactory, I went back and checked out, like, the subversive engineering achievement, for example. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Like, it, it, yeah. it, what achievements should do, what they don't usually do, you know, usually they're just, um, you know, uh, they're either grindy to the, to the degree that they're just supposed to keep you playing forever, or they're just, you know, f- at interval patting you on the back to let you know that you're still awesome for still playing the game, right? When they can actually yeah. inspire you to play it differently or poke around a little bit more, I think they're they're doing what, you know, the the, le- the least cynical part of me thinks they ought to be doing, you know? Yeah. I used to really hate achievements. That's why in Ironclad Tactics is a single achievement for doing something that indicates you read the instructions that we told you, like, how to do something. And it's one achievement. And, like, people were so... There's, like, a great achievement guide for how to unlock it. And some, somebody wrote it as if there were a bunch So I, I played Ironclad Tactics, and I'm, I, I'm wondering if I have that achievement. <laughs> I'm going to check while it's, you're talking. It's pretty great. So I used to really hate achievements, and that was, that was basically my, my protest against achievements. But I, I've sort of softened my appearance. The thing that I hate the most about achievements is that they pop up a little thing in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen that says, Hey, asshole, do you remember you're playing a game? Were you immersed? Because you're not anymore, you know? And, like, I, I kind of hate that, but, like, I, I don't think it bothers other people as much as me. And it's not like I'm telling, trying to tell some grand story where it'll just, like, take them out of it, you know? Like, it's not, like, this isn't, like, Titanic or something, you know? Like, something that people are really emotionally invested in quite the same way. So maybe it's okay that it pops up I, a little I mean, thing. This might just be me being a nerd, but I, I would I would say with no equivocation and no hesitation that your your games carrier have a heftier emotional weight than than any James Cameron movie. But um, oh, but the, the music it just gets you going. <laughs> You're right. Oh, well, if you had Celine Dion, that would be different. But you know, yeah. So that's the so funny thing. You were talking about achievements that kind of tick off, like beat this chapter, beat this chapter, beat this chapter. So I also thought that those were the lowest form of achievements. Till I actually had somebody email me asking for those in Infinifactory. And the reason why is because they wanted to see how far their friends had gotten through the game mm. and that they can look at their friend's page and see exactly how far they are through the game by seeing which chapter achievements they've unlocked. And that had never occurred to me before. But that's actually like a real, that has value, right? People love seeing like how their friends' playthroughs have gone and how far they are in the game. I mean, I guess you could just ask them, but <laughs> I don't know. That's, I, I thought there was zero value to it. Now there's like a slight, like, you know, non-cynical value. <laughs> no, that, makes, that makes total sense. I mean, come to think of it, you know, the, the compare achievements with a friend page, you know, I've, I've used that a couple of times. And you oh. talked on you talked on the Zachronics podcast. It is. Yeah, you can actually say, like, show me which ones I have for this game versus, you know, which ones person X has. Oh, that's um, super cool. It's, it's a really neat little feature, right? And it's, I mean, it's mostly so you can rub that in someone's face. You know, that's clearly the intended use. But you, you talked on the Zachtronics podcast a little bit about how, like, leaderboards for a circle of friends are, are almost or even mm. maybe definitely more useful than global leaderboards because global leaderboards are, are inherently discouraging mathematically for the yeah. vast majority of players, right? Uh, or, or if not discouraging, at least irrelevant, you know? Whereas yeah. knowing how your friends are doing in the game or how far they are, yeah, that makes total sense. That's absolutely some kind of value add um yeah it's interesting uh, uh, uh good old games or gog as they're now called because i guess they they don't specialize mm-hmm. in old games necessarily they put out their their yeah. steam like client galaxy uh, and it's still in beta mm-hmm. and i think just because mm-hmm. it's beta i think they're planning to have achievements pop at the bottom of the screen the same way they do in steam or, or on the playstation or the xbox uh but they don't currently just because they haven't added that feature yet and it hadn't occurred to me, but it really makes playing The Witcher or, or what have you way more restful that you're not getting that intrusion into like the, the diegesis oh, yeah. of the game or whatever. Just when you log out, when you're done playing, it's like, oh, look at all the cool things I did. Like you can kind mm, of yeah. use them to reflect on it. That's that's actually a much better way to do it now that I'm thinking about it. But 
less exciting. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I stabbed I stabbed twenty orcs in the face. I just want I want I want that rush of dopamine every yeah, time I knock yeah. down forty trees. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, we've been going uh nearly an hour. Uh do you need to go soon? No, not really. No? All right, cool then. You can go a little bit longer. Yeah. That sounds good. Like 20, 15 more minutes? Sounds I, uh, good. I'm going to run out of steam eventually. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, yeah, okay. Well, if you run out of steam, then you won't be able to unlock more achievement. There's a joke in there somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> I... Yeah, the, we they, didn't find it. No, no, we didn't. So let's let's move on. Um, I'll, and I and I will leave. The, I won't edit that failed joke out as like an act of self-flagellation. I'll just l- let people listen to me twist on the vine. Have you? Do you ever do that? Edit out jokes that you make that kind of fall flat. I have never done that. I have edited out jokes that uh, that people I was interviewing made that fell flat, uh, just because it seemed polite. Yeah. Like, not yeah. not you know, just to make them you know sound good and and keep the conversation yeah, flowing, yeah. but also just because like if it's twenty seconds of trying to think of a pun that never quite comes, it's not the world's most compelling thing to listen to. Yeah. So I on one of my episodes, I said something that was trying to be a joke, but like the other person didn't even respond, and it wasn't even funny. I totally edited it out. <laughs> I, I would say ashamed. I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> you're oh, you just planted a flag. Yeah, this isn't about reportage. I think most like I do like you say. Whenever you make a podcast, there's a certain degree of editing to be done, uh, or else it sounds terrible because you know there's somebody drops something on the desk, or there's interference, or whatever. Most of the stuff that I edit out is just you know like background noise, or it's or it's you know Skype drops the connection for a second. We have to you know like mm-hmm. paste stuff back together. Like that's that's most of what I do. I I, I don't. Uh, I've had, I've actually, I've talked to one or two people, um, where there were a lot of ums, like a huge, a huge quantity of ums. And I felt compelled to remove the ums, uh, or at least <laughs> cut them back, which is weird because that makes them sound less like them. But it, it, it it's, oh, it's yeah. again, just, it's this desire. It's this, I don't know. It's, it's like trying to be respectful of the listener, right? Like if you're going to spend an hour of your yeah. time listening to a thing, I want that thing to be as dense with stuff worth listening to as possible. I'm sure, I'm sure you feel similarly since yours is a, uh, a zero waste podcast, right? Like you don't even have intro music for goodness sake. You just get right to the point. I tried, but I, I actually wanted to use, um, I was thinking, and I, not that I wanted to, I was thinking about using MC Frenelot's Indier Than Thou as, because uh, that seems like an appropriate, it's kind of self-deprecating and it's about being indie, so it seemed appropriate. So I, I tried seeing if it even sounded, you know, good, but I couldn't even get it to sound right. I emailed him, he never got back to me. I figure it's better without music. I'm not cool and hip with the kids, you know, so nothing lost. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. No, and it's, I, I really like that there's no nonsense to it, right? Like, it's, you know, you, you say who you are, you say who you're talking to, and then you talk to them. Like, it's cool. Cause they're, they're... I'm incapable of nonsense. <laughs> That's not a terrible yeah, I, quality. I, 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 wish I, I wish I was better at bullshitting, but I... <laughs> That's that's yeah. I mean, that, there's a pull quote if ever I've heard one. But it's I, I again. I feel like your work not, again, not to overstate the case, but I think your work is good because you're so bad at bullshit. Like there's <laughs> there's there's a realness to whatever you put out there that that I for one appreciate. Because I don't know. We were talking about the uh, we were talking around it, but the the noise when you log on to Steam and the on the front page and you're not really sure what's going to be worthy of your attention, right? Like, the, it goes mm-hmm. back to the buzzworthy conversation. Because there, there's certainly mm-hmm. a huge number of, of indie games and, and just games in general that come out that look cool visually, aesthetically, audiovisually. They're in a genre that I like, and I immediately know that I'm probably not going to play them anytime soon, if ever. Just because <laughs> I, I can't think what it is that should recommend them to me over over the 
you know, <laughs> n number of games in my backlog that I haven't played yet that I've picked up from mm-hmm. various humble bundles and things. So it's like it's really it takes something that is arresting in terms of concept or execution or, or something that my friends are excited about to kind of cut through that. I think, like sexy ladies, for example. Yeah, like if <laughs> you've if ever been on the Android store. <laughs> yeah, if like <laughs> I wasn't sure about this RPG, but then I saw there was a boob witch on it, and now now yeah. <laughs> sold. I'm gonna microtransact all evening with yeah, like it's. It's uh, that is that is the go-to solution, isn't it? Just, just the. Just the, the I like the boob witches. Like there, there are a lot of boob witches on this fantasy. I think it's a uh, what's that? Dragon's Crown. I think started that one. Dragon's Crown is maybe the the, the pinnacle or the nadir, depending on your point of view, of the of the boob witch uh, aesthetic. Yeah, it's <laughs> physically physically implausible and uh, and gen- and aesthetically absurd. I think is the the order of that game. Yeah. So so. Did you just reveal the aesthetic of your next game? Is it going to be... <laughs> it's all boob witch. <laughs> Start to finish. Infinite boob witch does have a certain ring to yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah it right? Next in the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> it's where this has all been going. You heard it here first. So you don't mind that you gave yeah. me that scoop, even though I'm not Kotaku yeah, no, or something. Okay, exclusive. that's cool. <laughs> oh, shit, oh, we were going to show it at E3. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah, it didn't make didn't make the stage. This was a weird E3. I don't know if you followed it at all or if you're completely too... No, I... I actually, it's. I, I feel a little guilty about it now because I, I am still in the industry and this is my job. But I, I actively tune out anything related, like aggressively tune out anything related to E3, and it's not really reasonable. I just fucking hate it. Like, sure. Like I'm not. I'm not trying to even make a case for tuning it out because I think like I, I should be paying attention at least a little bit. But just like it, it drives me. Part of it is because I. It's it's easy. I'm kind of like in in like. What'd you say like uh, insecure a little bit about about the stuff that I do, and so seeing lots of other people being successful indies like sometimes gets to me. Uh, I've gotten a little bit thicker skin the past year or two, but like just in general, I just don't care. Like like there are people who are just like, oh look at this trailer, it's gonna be so amazing. It's like whatever. Like there's a good chance that people will be pissed off at them when it comes out. Like it's it's just a bunch of children getting excited about trailers. And it's like and that's it's just so fake. Right, they just send up like people talking. I actually I heard good things about the um, the the new South Park game, like how they presented, like they were being like really, you know, they're being themselves, like the South Park guys when they were presenting the trailer for their game and making fun of it, and like that I can appreciate. But so many of the people are just like, they're just like they're good like quote unquote speakers, and that like they can they can read off their they can memorize their cue cards and sound kind of like real people, but more like robots trying to be real people. It's like wow, look at that charismatic robot pretending to be a person, <laughs> you know. And it's like, it just drives me up the fucking wall. I, it shouldn't. I like I said, I don't. Don't you don't have to agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, as I may have mentioned, a time. So I agree with you completely, and I can even offer like a, a slightly more. Like I've thought about a lot why E three makes my skin crawl a little bit. And I think it's because, as we may have talked about, uh, my day job is I, I work in tech, but not in games, right? So I, I see a lot of that kind of stuff where, like, some people are mm-hmm. genuinely charismatic in, in any given industry, right? But the charismatic robot curse, where it's someone who's mm-hmm. memorized the only <laughs> speech they're going to give in that, you know, that fiscal quarter or whatever, is, yeah. is something that exists very broadly in tech. And it's really creepy. And it only passes it for it only passes for genuine human emotion if you're not that familiar with genuine human emotion. It only passes for energy. Entertainment. If you're not that familiar <laughs> with entertainment, so like, it's just really, it's a facsimile of engagement that is just like, it's 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 almost like Uncanny Valley stuff. Like, it's just close enough yeah. to how a human would talk about a thing, but it's just far enough yeah. that it, yeah. So to see that applied to, uh, 
like a, like a, it's just a, to see everybody eat it up. That's like, the thing, right? Like, so it's it's a it's an industry. It's a series of industry press conferences consumed as entertainment, with the full awareness that that's happening. So, in addition to being that unseemly, you know, robot posing as human, um, what if robots had feelings or didn't kind of thing? Yeah. Besides that, it's it's also all of the pandering and the like. The gamers are at the center of the universe, kind of stuff. That yeah. yeah. So so it ends up being everything that's kind of gross about the games industry hyper condensed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it really is just like it, it makes my skin like it's just, I just have like a visceral reaction to it. <laughs> yeah. Which is I mean the one thing I do appreciate is the way Nintendo has sort of said, you know, fuck this and they've they've done stuff that's almost like a like an a, like absurdist parodies of E3 press conferences. Like I don't know, I don't know if you really? saw any clips of what they did, but this year No, they I were, tuned they, it out completely. <laughs> so they were Muppets this year. They actually had what? Muppets of Miyamoto and uh, and Reggie and all those all those, you know, Nintendo oh, exec great. personalities transforming into Star Fox characters and they were like from the Jim Henson creature shop. They were like consummately oh, wow. puppeted puppets. Um and it it made no sense and had nothing to do with anything and it was kind of great, you know. Sounds better than the Reggie speech I saw at JDC a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, I mean he's. I think he he a lot of his speeches fall into the uh, the robot posing as human category we're we're talking yeah. about a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean like a lot of those guys are charismatic in air quotes, you know. And it's it's mm-hmm. just weird to me that that's a form of entertainment to the general video game buying public. And I th- I think we talked about the Consumer King article, right? That uh, your esteemed yeah, composer yeah. wrote. Um, I think two times ago we talked and, about that. And he wrote the story in TIS 100 also. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm officially I'm officially yeah. a very large fan of his then. Um, that's that's three <laughs> that's three things. So it's it's the Consumer King thing pervades E3, right? Like the way they the way that yeah. everything is about you're our special little guys, give us more money. You're our, <laughs> uh, it's creepy. It's yeah. creepy. I think I think it is. if anybody was positive about E3 this year, it was only because they were talking they were doing that gross stuff with games at least. It wasn't about how your Xbox is also your cable box and all the all the stuff it's been for the last few years. <laughs> Uh, yeah. thanking God for the smallest of favors, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it makes sense though, right? Like it is, it's the news, right? And like, if you like, if you like games, you'll like hearing about the news about them. Cause that's the stuff that's coming out. And like, it is all in one place and it's all like pretty awesome stuff. You know, I'm, I'm jaded, yeah, yeah. but that doesn't mean everybody else should be. <laughs> No, totally. No, there's nothing. There's. I was gonna say there's nothing wrong with getting excited, but there maybe is about getting excited about something that is coming out next year, maybe, uh, yeah. and and will very likely not resemble the trailer that you're seeing in any way. I mean, like there there's something a little bit noxious about that, but yeah, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like if people want to get excited, let them get excited. I guess the 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 only thing that bothers me about it is then there's gonna be the inevitable backlash cycle, and I feel like that's part of. There's like a I don't know, there's like a blood sport or a gladiatorial thing about it almost, where uh-huh. we all have to get excited so then we can be bitterly disappointed and angry and write letters and... Yeah, yeah. make little... Yeah, no, totally. I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, well, that this was such a good positive conversation, and then, then I made the huge mistake <laughs> of mentioning E3. It's, no, it's, it's yeah, it's it's all okay. I, I'm thinking about how I, my feelings about it while, while we're talking about it. I, I think it really is, I... I it made me more upset when I was more insecure, but now I have sort of just like a whatever attitude towards it. And it's like, sure, it's okay. It's like, yeah, we know that people are going to, they're excited now. They're going to be angry later. It's like the cycle repeats itself endlessly. It's okay. You know, it's, uh, if you're, if you're detached from it all, like it's quite okay. Yeah. 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 As a, as a form of just really if absurd entertainment. If you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're sufficiently high, then E3 is entertaining. That's, another pretty good you know guiding principle to live by but it's it's uh it, and, and by the way the the showing games that don't exist yet 
um, thing reached its most absurd level ever. I don't know if you heard that, that there's a Shenmue 3 Kickstarter that they... Oh, launched. God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like... <laughs> we talked about that in the office. We were trying to break that down. The... <laughs> Shenmue, yeah. Is there... <laughs> like, I don't even understand that. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they kickstarted a triple-A game, maybe, for the hype? I'm not... <laughs> Show us that you want to see Shenmue 3 on your PlayStation 4 console. <laughs> it's yeah and and but don't just show us by signing a petition or or yang a thing in the meverse show us by throwing money at it like yeah, yeah. it's so not weird. a lot of money but still a lot of money and then if you if you pitch in under five dollars the creator will oh god it was something funny like he'll like bless you or something <laughs> like he'll, he'll 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 feel gratitude for you which made me think it's like some sort of religious thing where like, they'll give him a list of names and he'll like look at each one and think for a second about like his gratitude to that person it's like when like, you pay some, actually, yeah yeah you pay someone to light a candle for you or a relative at yeah, mass yeah yeah exactly it's like is he actually gonna do that for each person or is he just doing it in aggregate like in the way that i'm thankful to all of our fans or like you know i'm gonna like I'm gonna do a little thing with my hand that looks like a shape or something <laughs> i would like I to think that they're standing. very I'd like to think they're very serious about it and, like, Yu Suzuki is in a temple doing mudras for each one. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) We should have just given them fucking postcards. It would have been cheaper. (laughs) He's been in there for days. (laughs) Good thing we don't have to make a game or this would really be cutting into our time. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's that thing where, like, there have been certain Kickstarters where it was literally just like, we know we're making this game, where there's going to be outside funding, but show us how much you want it, Uh, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. It totally hits the same thing where it totally just looks like they're just trying to build up buzz. Like, they don't need the Kickstarter. They know that people want it, probably. Like, even if the Kickstarter succeeds, it does not mean that game is going to be financially successful. Right. Like, it gives them no data. It gives them no money. It just gives them press. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, like, if yeah, if, if you if you don't realize that, though, maybe it just looks like a sweet Kickstarter for Shenmue 3, which you're really fucking excited about because you can drive a tow truck around or whatever. <laughs> It was. I, I believe in the first game, it was a forklift. Let's let's be fair. Yeah. That's that's. Oh, I'm an uncultured gamer. I've never played Shenmue. So I I feel like only about six people have played Shenmue. It seems like one of those things where way more people are fans of it than have than have played it. I think the experience points guys on their podcast were talking about that. How like given the number of copies it's sold and given how bad Dreamcast emulators are, it must be true that a lot of people who profess love for Shenmue didn't play it. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh. I mean, so I've played it. I've I've played it through, uh, to to its to its conclusion. It's it's a good game. It's it's messy in the way that open world games from that era were always messy. Like it's it's this big yeah. world with islands of content in it, and it was also kind of the beginning of QTEs as a thing. So there's there's big chunks where you're watching a movie and hitting a button every so often. You know, it's 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 a long way from being a masterpiece, but it it's audacious and crazy and 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 interesting and and it's definitely. You know, it's 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 a vision that that it it isn't like the other games. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's worth having played just based on that. But I don't know that we need another one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I, I definitely don't Can we know. Pause that for I, a second. Yeah, totally. Okay, I'll be back in a second. Okay, I'm back. Just had to make sure that you had something to edit out later. Yes, absolutely. thank you for that. Thank you. My <laughs> life would be empty if I didn't have to, you know, spend some time in Audacity. I know how much fun it is. So, yeah. 
it's I mean it's good in in the sense that you can you can make sure that everything sounds like a podcast someone would want to listen to you know you give it a once over Mm -hmm. although it is easy to just like jump from thing you need to edit to thing you need to edit you know like not even (laughs) not even bother listening to it but just be like oh there's yeah yeah there's a peak there's a peak yeah yeah yeah. the hell with it (laughs) we'll do it live um yeah Yeah. (laughs) cool well well thank you for I just I want to take a sec and say thanks for talking to me three times it's uh been really really good um I, uh, I, I really, like I said, like your work and, and you're a really interesting dude to talk to. So I appreciate it a lot. So what else is on your mind? Have you had time to play or consume anything or has it all kind of been wrapping up these projects and, and has that been your world? Mostly working. Uh, we, I started playing the, the, the new South Park game with my wife or she's playing it and I'm, I'm hanging out and making comments. Nice. It's nice. A, it's it's probably the I, I really haven't been playing a lot of games lately. I've sort of I've sort of like in the past year turned into one of those adults who doesn't have time for video games, which I never thought would happen. But it's it's like a combination of being busy and just not being motivated to play video games. Like most video games are kind of bullshit. Like they're they're sort of like illusions of having stuff to do, and they're often very sort of unnecessarily time consuming and. Like I don't have kids or anything, but like it's it just doesn't seem like a good use of time. I well, you're, you're hypersensitive to that because you spend all day making not that. My wife's a musician and a performer, and and she doesn't listen to music for pleasure that much because she just can't help oh, or go to the theater for yeah. that matter, right? Like it's got to be. We, we really we we go to the theater if we know it's going to be really good or if we know somebody who's in it because like she's just <laughs> hypercritical because that's she can't turn that part of her brain off. I would imagine once you start running a game studio, games become similar for you. Yeah, kind of. Um, but the, the, so we've been playing the South Park game, and it's it's funny how offensive it is. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't know how it's, far you are in, but it, it goes pretty far, that game. Uh, not far enough, I think. But okay. yeah, it's I don't know. I, it's funny because I've been watching South Park for like my entire life, and it's just like, wow, this is actually more offensive than I thought it would be. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, so they, they famously they really captured something. <laughs> they did. I don't know what, but something, I mean, I, for me, that game, the funniest stuff was the little moments. Like there's, there's the one, uh, the one, uh, moment where just every time you go to, uh, the shop in one of the two camps, it goes just us elves craft the finest shit in the land. I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was great, but it's, 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 they famously had that big fight with the, uh, the MPAA when they were making the South Park movie. And so from what I understand, they went through something similar with the ESRB with this and just like literally, Really? Made it their mission to get away with as much as they could, you know. So, oh God! Well, yeah. props to them. Yeah, 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 and I know there is one scene which you're, I won't spoil because you're not there yet. That in the Australian version had to be replaced with a still image of a crying koala. Uh, it couldn't, get, couldn't get past <laughs> had to whatever. Be. Yeah, yeah, had it, to be replaced with that in particular. Yes, had to be that by law, I believe. Um, I think <laughs> I think anything oh that gets God, censored. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that game a lot. I like that game uh, quite a bit. And I'm excited to see what they do with the with the second one. And that's one trailer worth watching if you watch any E3 trailers. I did, yeah. That's the one I watched. Yeah, because yeah, it's very self-referential. And, like, that wasn't even an RPG. The combat was terrible. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really have anything else. I should probably get back to work soon. That is all good. No, I had a really good time with this. Yeah. Thank you again. And uh, I, I think I asked this last time, but is it cool if I use a little bit of music uh, from the game just as outro? Oh, let's do, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I actually used the TIS 100 beep sounds that probably wouldn't have the same. I'm gonna use a TIS 100 beep, uh, like between the little intro I do and us talking. That'll be the that'll be the segue, okay. and I'm really excited. I'm about actually that. adding a new beep in the new uh, the new update. That better be in the patch notes. That's amazing. It is. Yeah, yeah. There's a beep for when you solve a puzzle. That's great. It's That's a good. Beep. It's a happy beep instead of the melancholy beep. <laughs> 
I, you're right. The beeps are melancholy. That's not. I hadn't it thought is. of that word. But yeah. and it was so Matthew. Matthew, the guy who wrote the music for Space Can, or for Infinifactory, and wrote that article you talked, Consumer Kings article, wrote the story for TIS 100. Also did the sounds for TIS 100. And there's only like two sound effects now. I guess it's like five sound effects in the game. But like he specifically made a beep that would sound kind of off and melancholy. And it's funny because I was playing the sounds for, for my wife. I was like, oh, here, we got the new sounds from, from Matthew. And so I, I played the beep sound. And she's like, oh, that sounds like melancholy. <laughs> that was like her first reaction. And it really is like a melancholy beep. And uh, it's kind of funny. It's impressive. To think that a beep could tell that much, you know? Yeah, it just, it goes, well, it says something about minimalism, right? Like there's, <laughs> you can tell a lot of story with a little, but yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, of course, let you know when this goes live. And um Thanks again just for your time and your work. I really uh, I really dig yeah. your stuff. Thank you. I, I like your work, too. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for the nth plus oneth time to Zach Barth for engaging in this longer series of already long-form interviews. Uh, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. Uh, and I really hope that I've convinced a few of you to check out his work. I actually know that I've already convinced some of you to do so, and I hope that I've convinced a few more with this latest conversation. Speaking of which, uh, Infinifactory is now out of early access, and TIS 100 is now in early access. You can pick both up on Steam and in the Humble Store. Also, you can grab the Infinifactory soundtrack on Bandcamp, and you can check out that and everything else made by Matthew S. Burns at MagicalWasteland.com. You can check out Zachtronics Games, the full catalog thereof, at Zachtronics.com, and the Zachtronics podcast, logically enough, at Zachtronics.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to it anywhere that RSS is a thing, and you can do likewise for this here podcast. Furthermore, if you can prove that the sexy 80s actually existed using an assembly code routine, then then this podcast will emerge in a series of melancholy beeps and boops. ETAO.wordpress.com. <laughs>